From WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR, this is Capital Notes, a podcast about Wisconsin politics and politicians. I'm Marty Michelson. Each week, I discuss noteworthy developments with J.R. Ross, editor of WISPolitics.com. Here's our latest conversation. So, J.R., Department of Workforce Development Secretary Caleb Frostman took the hot seat and testified before a state Senate committee as to why many Wisconsinites still haven't received unemployment benefits. Of about 2.5 million claims filed, nearly three-quarters of a million are unpaid. Republicans on the committee accused Frostman of not being prepared for the surge in claims that happened when many people were laid off because of coronavirus. What were some of the recommendations that came out of the committee hearing, and do you think they'll help speed up the process? At this point here in, you know, late May, early June. Uh, They've now signed contracts with three outside vendors to open up new call centers, to have a new, uh, just one vendor's processing claims. Starting in mid-March, they started moving people over to the Employment Insurance Division. From within DWD, they tried transferring employees from other state agencies. They began hiring positions. The plan right now is those call centers will be up and running and fully staffed by the end of June, but that's, that's the end of June. That's several months after this really started to become a problem, um, should they have, again, moved earlier to do this? And, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. You know, even some Republicans I talked to said, look, you know, it's easy to criticize now. That said, uh, there is a perception sometimes that there's a bottleneck in the Evers administration where a lot of things go through the governor's office before there's decisions made, and that because of that, it slowed down the reaction. Also worthy of noting that, you know, the Evers folks, they were trying to deal with the pandemic as all this is going on. I mean, there's, there's a true health crisis out there. So their attention may have been more on just managing, trying to stem the spread of COVID-19. But at the same time, again, you know, did they act soon enough to get people in these call centers? And even with the changes, you know, there are complaints from Republicans that the call centers aren't open long enough. There's not enough of, of this or that going on. So it, it's, it's definitely going to be something to watch with the Evers administration how is this, does this impact his poll numbers? He's done fairly well with the COVID-19 response, the Marquette poll. But are people unhappy with what they're seeing out of the Evers administration on unemployment? And does it start to hurt him and stick around and sting a little bit um, politically? Right. Frostman indicated that it may take until October for the state to catch up and pay all the claims. If so, what are the implications for November, if any, in the crucial swing state of Wisconsin? Well, it depends on who people blame. Do they blame the Evers administration or do they blame the White House? You know, that, that kind of thing. And people are so entrenched in their partisan ways, maybe it doesn't sway them very much. Now, one thing to kind of note with what Frostman said is that they expect to have these, you know, increased staffing levels at the call centers through October. It doesn't mean, though, that if you uh, if your claim was filed in late March and has been processed yet, that you're not going to wait till October. They'll be working through that backlog kind of first come first serve. So what he's talking about is the ones who are in the back end now are getting filed as we speak. They may be the ones that get delayed longer, but they will take if, if you If you filed in March and you're still waiting for something, you're first in line to get your stuff um, resolved. But yeah, we're, we mean, the signs all are, we're gonna have elevated unemployment in Wisconsin at least through the summer and probably into the fall. So it doesn't look like this is gonna kind of die down anytime soon. So. Just, again, something to keep an eye on. How does this play out? At what point do we get to 
normal, quote-unquote, employment levels, uh, fewer people applying for employment, that'll help uh, the cause of the agency quite a bit because if there's less demand, then it gives them time to catch their breath. Also last week, the Wisconsin Elections Commission has agreed to mail out absentee ballot request forms to most voters for the fall elections. The vote was unanimous. However, the commission has to meet again later this month to craft a letter that would accompany each ballot request form. The commission consists of three Democratic and three Republican appointees. What kind of language would have to be included in this letter? And do you think it'll be difficult for commissioners to agree on the language? Good question about what the language will look like and and how to get them to an agreement. They've had challenges at times, I guess you could say, for reaching big decisions. What kind of interests me about this whole topic when I've asked people about is that here you have a commission that's agreeing to send out 2.7 million uh, ballot applications to register voters in Wisconsin. The key thing there is applications. These are not ballots going out to Wisconsin registered voters. These are applications. You still have to respond. Interestingly, the commission expects roughly 1% of people to mail them back uh, to ask for an absentee ballot. That doesn't, though, account for the number of people who will take that mailing and go online and apply through the My Vote website, which allows you to ask for an absentee ballot, load up your uh, copy of your photo ID, and be good to go in that regard. So it is something that's going to raise the attention on absentee balloting. We've already seen two elections in Wisconsin, the April 7th election and the May 12th special election in the 7th Congressional District, where absentee ballot voting was increased uh, at higher levels we normally see. So now it becomes a question of, are people really going to embrace this? And if so, how do campaigns respond? Because normally, you know, if you're a campaign in Wisconsin, uh, you might start communicating, like if you're, uh, let's say you're running for state assembly, you might do your mail program, your lit pieces, like in kind of early to mid-October, trying to catch people before they make that final decision. But now, if they're starting to vote in September absentee or things like that, you have to be cognizant of, okay, when do I start trying to reach people to make them aware of my message? And oh, by the way, we're in a down economy, which means resources might be limited because people don't have as much money to donate to campaigns. So you may have to be creative in how you work your mail campaign because you've got less money to work with, a longer period of time to appeal to voters, we're going to start casting ballots not long after those absentee requests are sent out, or sorry, sent back, and they get those ballots. So it's going to be a fascinating election to watch to see how much how much the voters' behaviors change from a typical election when most ballots are cast at the polls versus are we going to see more of a mail-in election again due to COVID-19. In another development, another candidate has announced her intention to run for state school superintendent next April. Sheila Briggs, an assistant state superintendent, is the second person to throw her hat into the ring. The other candidate so far is Jill Underly, who is superintendent for the Pecatonica Area School District in western Wisconsin. The seat will be open next year because current superintendent Carolyn Stanford-Taylor has announced she won't seek a full four-year term. The election isn't for another 10 months. Why is the race starting so early, and do you think it'll be competitive? Um, well, interestingly, though we have two people announced, a third, Troy Gunnerson, who's a superintendent in West Salem, out in western Wisconsin, uh, is thinking about it. We don't have a clear conservative candidate in the race. And in, in DPI races, conservative is synonymous with pro-school choice, right? Um, these races for years have been kind of about who's backed by the more education establishment types, the teachers unions, those kinds of things, versus the more conservative Republican 
again, pro-voucher candidate. We don't really have that candidate just yet in the race. We fascinate to watch if one emerges um, because conservatives have not done very well in DPI races in the last two decades. I mean, actually, the closest race we've had between, again, more of a pro-public education candidate versus more of a pro-school choice candidate was in 2009 when Tony Evers won by 15 points. Um, these have not been very competitive races lately. So will that change? You know, maybe. But part of what we're getting going now is, you know, it, it's going to be a slog. Uh, there's going to be a lot of attention on the fall races. So they're getting out there now to kind of get their names in the kind of public realm. They're not going to be able to raise a whole lot of money this year. It's a down economy. Most money's going to go toward the fall elections. But you can start working the circuit, talking to people, you know, building some name ID, building some contacts, racking up endorsements. Those kinds of things will be important because once – because once the November election is over, this will ramp up very quickly. Because don't forget, we go from early November wrapping up the presidential race, the races for the congressional seats, the state legislature, to all of a sudden, bam, you've got uh, from early November until January, first week of January, file nomination papers. So it's going to be a very quickly moving race once you clear the fall elections. And finally, the president of the Pabst Theater Group suggested last week that maybe Milwaukee should be awarded the 2024 Democratic National Convention because it's clear that 2020 won't bring in the revenue and live up to the event that was originally planned because of coronavirus. Gary Witt made the suggestion after CNN bailed on its plans to rent Turner Hall in downtown Milwaukee for the week of this year's convention in August. What are the chances of Milwaukee getting the convention in 2024 as a make good? You know, that's tough to say. I mean, the immediate thing is just trying to get through the the 2020 uh, convention What's it going to look like? Will it be in person? Will it be more of a uh, virtual convention? I really don't know right now. And really, I mean, I don't know that the party's going to, the National Party will commit to something like that four years out for the next election. I mean, like once we get through November, it's going to, it might be a whole different terrain in 2024 than what we're used to. I mean, will Wisconsin still be like a top five swing state four years from now? Who knows? You know, that's a long way away. So I don't know the party's going to make a commitment anytime soon about that. But what the Democrats do need to do is show a commitment to Wisconsin. If they do go to a, a virtual convention, show that this play, state still matters. They don't want the optic of pulling out of Wisconsin, not doing anything here. And then seem like they're ignoring Wisconsin again after Hillary Clinton was so criticized for not really visiting the state after she showed up the nomination four years ago. I don't, from talking to Democrats, they promise they won't make that mistake again. So they have to be delicate. If they do pull back in this convention dramatically, they have to do it delicately to not seem like they're, losing, they're abandoning Wisconsin again. That's wispolitics.com editor J.R. Ross. You can join us each week for our conversations. And if you haven't done so already, subscribe to Capital Notes on iTunes, NPR One, or wherever you get your podcasts.